In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Please be seated. Sometimes when I meet people and they find out what I do, that I serve a parish, especially a parish in Manhattan, sooner or later they ask some version of the same question. How big is your congregation? Well, I try to answer honestly, but in my own way. And I usually begin by saying something like, well, we're small, but we're growing. And we're growing especially in prayer and in mission and in taking care of each other and in in being the body of Christ in this neighborhood and beyond. Usually they listen to that and then they push the point. Yes, but how many people come? I then explain what they were looking for, that on an average Sunday we have about a hundred people with the three services combined and, and even less in the summer. Usually, but not always, I can then sense a little bit of disappointment. As we all know, our culture leads so many of us to believe that success is measured in numbers, The more, the better. The larger, the more faithful. Sometimes religions or perversions of religion actually preach this sort of message. A while back, just before the presidential primaries, Super Tuesday, Pastor Mark Burns prayed at a Donald Trump rally, and he paraphrased today's Colossians reading, What he said in his prayer was, there is no black person, there is no white person, there is no yellow person, there is no red person, there are only green people, and green is money, green are jobs, green is success. Another friend of Mr. Trump is the televangelist Joel Osteen. Mr. Osteen preaches to 45,000 people every Sunday morning in his various churches, and he reaches almost 7 million a week through television. And if you've ever heard him or read him, it's, it's innocuous enough. He preaches a positive message, a message of thinking well and good and material success. And yet, if you notice, he almost never, ever mentions Jesus. Someone actually did a survey of Joel Osteen's postings on Twitter and found that in a year's worth of postings, 806 tweets, Osteen mentions God 334 times. He mentions Jesus three times. Now, Christ also comes in with another mention of three times, though two times he paraphrases and misquotes Old Testament text, and the third appearance is in the word Christmas. And Joel and Victoria wish us all a very merry one. I don't question that these preachers are religious in some way, but I do just wish that they and those who support them could be honest and clear about one thing. This is not Christianity. This is not the gospel of Jesus Christ. This has nothing to do with Jesus Christ, who lived and died and rose again for us. Many of these prosperity gospel preachers point to John 10.10, in which Jesus says, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
But they pluck this verse out of thin air as though it has no context. Now, you don't have to go to seminary to be a preacher, but you do have to read and meditate on Scripture. This verse comes in the whole section where Jesus is talking about sheep, and Jesus identifies himself as the good shepherd. And so abundant life has to do with our living together in the sheepfold, close to the shepherd, being in relationship with the good shepherd who knows us each by name, living like he does, loving like he does, and being willing to lay down a life for the sheep. That's abundant life. Today's gospel encourages us to be rich, to be really, really rich, but rich towards God. Now, this may or may not involve money. It's much, much larger and deeper. When I look closely at how Jesus deals with money and wealth in the scriptures, I notice that he wines and dines with everybody, rich and poor alike, Based on that, I think God must be almost indifferent as to whether we have money or not. Now, of course, God wants us to have enough. God wants us all to have plenty, to rejoice in bounty, to have what we need. And I think God even calls those with special skills and abilities to have lots of extra, extra to share, extra to extend the blessing, to celebrate the love of God and to help other people. God wants us to be wealthy and rich, to be full and satiated and complete and lacking nothing. But God doesn't really care if we have one house or five. God isn't bothered by what one drives or what one wears or whether one summers in the South Bronx or the South of France. But God calls us to be rich. As Jesus says, we're called to be rich towards God. In today's Gospel from Luke, Jesus has been talking to a group of people, warning them about hypocrisy of various sorts and trying to help them understand what it means to live a life completely dedicated to God. And so it's in this context that a man asks Jesus to sort of take his side over this question of an inheritance. We don't know the exact nature of the man's question, but biblical scholars point out that the reality of Jewish inheritance laws at that time held that the eldest son inherited twice the amount that might have gone to a younger sibling. So perhaps the speaker in the gospel is the younger brother. I don't know about you, but if I were that younger brother, not to mention a sister in the family who was left out completely, the part of me that wants everything to be fair and just in the world would want Jesus to take that man's side. But as with so many issues, Jesus doesn't do that. Jesus looks beyond this particular issue at the larger context to explore what's deeper. Jesus evades the political, the cultural, the legal question, and instead instead goes right to the spiritual question, the heart of the matter. And Jesus asks about the heart. Where is your heart? Jesus asks. What's your heart's desire? What makes your heart grow and expand and feel alive? That's what God is interested in. It's not about who has money or stuff or power or prestige. It's about how we use it. It's not about how big the wedding is. It's about whether you invite God or not. By way of an answer to the man's 
question in today's story, Jesus tells another story. He tells a parable. And he tells about this fellow who kept building up storehouses full of grain. But the man keeps building in vain, trying to build bigger and higher and bigger and higher because he's completely cut off from God. He's probably cut off from himself as well. The real issue has to do with our relationship with what we have. Does it lead us closer to God and God's people, or does it drive a wedge between us and God and all that is holy? Being rich towards God has to do with a kind of currency, if you think about it, but it's, it's not just currency in the monetary sense of that word. In fact, Jesus uses a kind of currency of life through which the Holy Spirit animates and operates In economics, one speaks of currency because a currency allows things to move around, to shift, to to go from one person to another, to have an almost life and rhythm that allows for free movement. Things in currency are not meant to be kept in one's hands, but they get their life out of being passed around and shared. Wealth is like that. Wealth of any kind, it only grows through a certain amount of risk. While it's surely that way with the currency of money, it's also that way with the currency of our relationships and the currency of our time. All these are ways in which we can be rich towards God. Of course, being rich towards God might involve money, and at some point it probably will for most of us. Through faith, it probably involves our letting some of it go through risk. I grew up in a church in which members often tried to outdo themselves by giving, but they gave anonymously. Over and over again, there would be some major gift to the parish, some program, some extra music, some mission begun. And each time, it would say in fine print somewhere that this gift was given by an an anonymous donor. That's living richly toward God and toward God's people. Being rich toward God also means being rich toward God's people. How we spend ourselves through the currency of relationship, both with people inside the church and people out of it. And so what would it look like if we lived more richly toward one another, uh, giving one another the benefit of the doubt, um, offering first mercy rather than judgment, extending first a welcome rather than wondering if the stranger might fit in or not. And finally, how do we spend our time? Do we give it to God for God's use? Do we give some of our time simply to be with God, however that looks to us, whether it's through prayer or through exercise or through looking at things of beauty or through being with people we love or through reading the Bible or through worship? What might it look like for us to live more richly toward God with our time? When I think about being rich towards God, I think about a number of people and all kinds of faces come to mind from from churches and from family and from places where I've worked and lived. But among them consistently is this small handful of women from my home church who prayed for me when I first went to seminary. It was a little group of women. They were called a church circle. And they would get together, I guess, monthly and and read uh, scripture verses and have a meal. 
And then evidently they would decide who needed a card. They would send cards to people who were sick and cards to people who were in school away from home. And so especially on special occasions, I would get a little card from these ladies. And in it would be a few $1 bills. (laughs) There might be three one month. Or another occasion, there might be seven $1 bills. One occasion, I don't remember when it was, maybe it was Easter, and I hit the jackpot. Thirteen $1 bills in this little card. And the note scribbled in there said, Dear John, we're praying for you. This isn't much, but we hope you'll do something irresponsible with this money. (laughs) That last phrase made it challenging. What could I do irresponsibly and then report to them about? So it meant I couldn't spend it on a book. I couldn't give it away. I needed to do something. And so I would go and spend the three or four dollars on a good ice cream cone and write them about it. Or when I had the 13, I remember a a really swanky coffee shop had just opened up. And so I went and with about that 13 dollars, I got a nice big cup of dark coffee and a piece of cheesecake. And then I could write them all about it and thank them. I remember thinking that it was a little like that story of Jesus with the woman who anoints him with perfume. It's not Jesus' job there to quibble or say, oh, you shouldn't have, but simply to be gracious and say thank you and receive the richness that these ladies were offering to me. What made the dollar bills and the occasional card so wonderful was not only their random sweetness, but even more, I knew these ladies, and I knew that they didn't have a lot of $1 bills to share, and even fewer fives, tens, or twenties. They were not wealthy women, and in fact, they were counting every penny, trying to cover medications, transportation, rent, contributions to church, support of family and friends, all that stuff, and yet they chose to share with me They were not wealthy women, but they were rich women. They were rich toward me, rich toward God, and they taught me what being rich looks like and means. The gospel of Jesus Christ has always been especially good news to those who are poor, those who are poor in spirit, poor in health, and those who are just plain poor, materially poor. The gospel is good news, not because it says that if we say our prayers will get rich, or that if we follow Jesus in a particular way, then all our problems are solved, but instead because the gospel promises us a relationship with the living Lord Jesus Christ, who moves through us and through our world like a currency of love, always and everywhere, showing us how to be rich towards God and toward one another. It's that kind of richness that lifts up everyone, that improves everybody, that blesses all. Our scriptures today work together. The reading from Ecclesiastes reminds us to live with a perspective on life. It doesn't last forever. St. Paul urges the Colossians not to worry so much about the clothes they put on, but instead to try to put on other things like compassion and kindness and lowliness and meekness and patience. Following Christ in abundant life, may the Holy Spirit show us what it is to be rich, filthy, filthy rich towards God. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit, amen.